0: Thank you for revealing yourself to us under no obligation were you to do that. And we see from Scripture that's exactly what you did. And we can have nothing more from you because you've sent your Son as you gave us everything in Him. So help us as we settle in tonight that you would give us wisdom and understanding and grace as we look at what you did for our salvation through your son we pray in jesus name amen page 47 our memory verse ephesians 2 8 through 10 classic verses that we talked about last week verses for people who think that salvation comes from works or anything religious has no merit before the lord by grace you've been saved through faith that not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Those are our verses for tonight for this very important chapter on salvation. Remember we also talked about previously that salvation, saved, Savior means deliverer delivered or deliver so when we see salvation in the bible it's either salvation is delivered deliverer or deliver and in some cases it can also mean rescued here that's what salvation is last time we also talked about it in your notes on page 47 in your memory verses it says for by grace what's the definition of grace unmerited favor You have been delivered through faith. What's faith? A term that's used often in our circles. What's the definition of faith? Dependence on, relying on another. That not of ourselves. The verse right there says somebody else did it for us. It is a gift of God. It's a thing given willingly without payment that's a gift just like for a birthday gift or a christmas gift no strings attached it's given not as a result of works very important section of scripture that we talked about last week so building off of that last week we talked about the sovereignty of god in salvation those he foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son And we looked at those terms. Whom he foreknew, that would mean he entered into a relationship before he created the world. God did. Then he marked them out. That's predestination. He called people out who he foreknew and predestined over the course of time. After we were born by our parents and through the course of time, we grew up and were able to understand the gospel. Somebody came and gave us the gospel and we were called out by God, summoned by him. We were then when we believed in Christ justified, we were made righteous because of his righteousness and then we will be in time glorified. Positionally we're there, we're just not there yet. So that's what we looked at last week. So important in salvation, so important because man has a tendency to default to human works. Even in our sanctification, we'll sometimes look at our activities and think that it has merit. And in fact, it doesn't. All by grace. We pick up on page 48 how God implements His sovereignty and salvation. It was His plan in Roman numeral A. Now we pick up with Roman numeral B. God implements His plan of salvation. He puts His plan into effect. God has a plan by the way, he always, he always had a plan. He never had a time where he didn't have a plan because he's eternal. Remember we talked about in chapter 3. He's infinite and eternal. And he knows everything there is to know and everything else that's unknown, he knows it, including his plan. But through the course of time, he created and implements his plan of salvation. And he did that, this is in your notes. He did that through a decree. It's so important that we look at God in eternity past and always known this of Him. In advance, beforehand, He had a plan for future events. And that includes your life and my life. Everything that we experience, conversation event he decreed it that's what the bible teaches in isaiah 46 9 and 311 it's there in your notes here's how it's described in your workbook the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past but now is manifested according to the commandment of the eternal god has been made known to all the nations leading to obedience of faith that set of verses so rich look at what it says the mystery something that's unknown something that is revealed is a mystery that has become known he says the mystery which was been kept secret what is it the commandment of the eternal god what made to who all nations what leading to obedience of faith God's plan, His his eternal plan. When we see things like this, God's decree to reveal His plan, it's always in reference to God's sovereign control over everything, over all events established in eternity past. Okay? Established in eternity past. That's what the Bible teaches. And the Bible teaches, as you know, that it's true. That's its claims thousands of times when the Bible said, and God said, or the Lord said, it's true. Even Jesus said, sanctify them by their truth. Thy word is truth. So when we see verses like this, we know it's true because that's the Bible's claim. So let me emphasize this one more time. So important as we go through our study, we will be challenged, if not mentally, by maybe someone else in the world, the authenticity of the Bible's truth. Is it true? Is the Bible true? Because if we have anything that would lead us to think it might have a bit of error or a lot of error, then we're off track because we're then going against the authority of what the Bible says to be so. And the Bible is its claim for truth, and so is his decree. So look here. What is man's spiritual condition before conversion? What is man's spiritual condition before conversion? What I'd like to do tonight, if we could, because we have a lot of verses to read, and if you don't want to read, just tell the one next to you, tap them, say, hey, I'd like to pass and not read. But we're going to start... Um, let's start back there with mike mike we'll just go this way and go all the way around the back row by paul over to kathy back over here to jeremiah we'll work our way up go through row two up to chad work our way over across through the middle over by tj over to todd back over to the front and over here with michael and we're going to just come to the verses and stop and read them and do a fill in the blank and we'll talk about some other things too okay everybody good with that um mike uh, Ephesians 2 1. That's a good one to memorize. <laughs> what is man's spiritual condition before conversion? <clears throat> dead. Somebody says, I don't understand that. Tell me what that means. What would you say? And I know there's a lot of people here don't feel like you're going to put yourself on the spot. It's okay. We're just going through it together. Man is dead in his trespasses and sin. I don't understand what that means. What does that mean? Okay, well, I'm alive now. I'm living. Alive in Christ. That's, that's good. So what am I dead in? exactly spiritual condition condition. so are you saying my spiritual condition is dead Uh, Prior prior to conversion you guys agree with that you're absolutely right spiritually dead separated from god spiritually dead my my body's alive but my spirit is dead prior to conversion you guys ever heard of a conversion van What do they do to it? They change it. That's conversion. We're going to talk a little bit about that in more detail um, coming up in Roman numeral 2, but just give you some food for thought here on conversion, just to have this in your mind. Conversion refers to the response of us to God's offer of salvation and our understanding of who we are. That's different from regeneration. Regeneration, the reason I'm bringing it up, is the opposite side of conversion. Regeneration is God's doing. The soul is passive. My soul is passive. Regeneration means make alive again. John chapter 3. We can read there. Conversion is the active side of the coin it brings about a change and a conversion so just think about this before we get over to Roman numeral two on conversion it's a response to the human side of what the Bible teaches to respond to the offer of salvation think of a conversion van I'm converting that van from what it was to what I want it to be. In God's case, He's going to change us from what we were to who? His Son. He's going to change us to be like His Son. Wonderful truth. So as we look at salvation, deliverance, deliver, deliverer, inside of that, which the fancy word for that is soteriology, inside of that We're unpacking some of the pieces of salvation. Conversion is one of them. And that's why they ask here, what is man's spiritual condition before conversion? Mike, he's dead in his trespasses and sin. Not everybody believes that out there. Most don't. And some will twist that particular view of being spiritually dead to a term called semi-Pelagianism. Pelagian was a monk from centuries ago and he believed there was goodness in man to make a choice for God. And so with that came views of Pelagianism, then semi-Pelagianism, which is this. Man has some good in him, but also has some bad in him. And people who manifest those beliefs would be the Catholic Church and anybody else who would think that any of their good works would manifest itself to receive grace from God. We just read via Mike. we're all spiritually dead before conversion. So important. What does God, the Holy Spirit, do concerning sin? We're at John 16. you want to do that Michelle whenever you're ready excellent okay we're dead spiritually in comes the Holy Spirit via the gospel always got to have the gospel we'll talk about that too what does he do As you look at when you were saved, you don't need to know the day you were saved. It's kind of nice if we do, but you don't need to know it. just need to know that you are and that I am. That's what we need to know. What did He do? As Michelle read, He convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He convinces people Of the need of a Savior. And He does it three ways. He convicts of sin. That's basically convicting people of they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He convicts convicts otherwise. He convinces that Jesus is the Messiah. He convicts the sinner of righteousness. He convicts the sinner of your righteousness has no merit whatsoever. It has no value to God. Zero value. And then he convicts the world of judgment, of their false judgment of Christ. He convicts them, their false view, he's the Savior, works are of no value, wrong view and judgment of who they think Jesus is. You guys ever experienced that? You don't have to raise your hand. I'm just asking. A Christian may not know when it happened, but when we're reading this, said, well, do I believe Jesus is Savior? Do I believe He's Savior of the world? That's really a question for us to answer in our mind. I do. Do I believe my good works have any merit? Any, Any merit at all? Any value? They don't. Was my view of Christ before I was saved, did I have a wrong view of of Him and did did He convict me that my view was wrong? He did. That's the work of the Spirit and the mark of a Christian under salvation. All through the gospel. All through the means of the gospel. All through the times when you and I talk with people about being saved and what the gospel is, which is good news. Good news of what? going to hell, or being pardoned and going to heaven. We tell him the good news. He takes that, the Holy Spirit does, and he convinces and convicts. So good. So good. Here's an important question. Number three. What is needed before someone can know the truth we touched on it a little bit but not to this level second 2 timothy 225 you got that okay what is needed before someone can know the truth repentance and what does repentance do according to what victoria read what does it do it it turns us away from where does it lead us to god how the truth it does exactly what you said Shirley. it leads us to the truth so a question comes up do i how do i know the truth and repent i got to hear something to repent of something Right? I mean, we just don't repent of, you know, one day I'm at my house and I think, you know, I think I'm going to repent. From what and to who? The gospel. But note this that word no leading to the truth is a comprehension of the truth. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ. I have to hear it. And then when I hear it, I have to make a choice. And how somebody repent, it's been granted, been given by God that Victoria read. So I get it. Does that mean now I'm still passive and I just decide nothing because I'm going to turn away from something? No. It is so convicting of the truth It is so convicting of the truth that there's a genuine inward pleading with the Lord to ask for forgiveness, to deliver me from the burden of sin, that I want to have a change of heart. There's a fear of judgment. There's a purpose as a result of those convictions from the gospel, I hear it, and I want to change. It leads me further to the truth, and I comprehend it as I read it and hear it. Is that cumbersome? Does that sound cumbersome? Yeah, Grant.
1: scriptures kind of like help highlight man's depravity too Um, because like if you go on into verse 26 and it says and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil So it's like you you really see God's grace like lifted up on a podium on the backdrop of our depravity like through
0: and through. Well said. That's exactly right. And the Christian can see that the more that we are led to truths like that. It becomes clearer, that's what the Bible talks about once veiled. You see it a little clearer and you're like, Yeah, that's right. Which by the way, that's Romans eight, where the spirit bears witness with that truth and you're there, that's right. Yeah, that's good very good repentance sorry for sins fear of judgment wanting to turn from self to the lord faith in god specifically regarding sin and jesus past rejection of him and embrace him in faith that's repentance rejection of what i believed before embracing of what the Lord has done in who he is by faith. His repentance is the sorry for sins of all those. Now we've already talked about it. Who grants it? That's why Jonah said salvation is of the Lord. Jonah 2.9, it's of God. We see it here. We know it's from him. And we're to respond. We respond. We'll talk about that a little bit more in conversion too. But no one is coerced or forced against their will to come to Christ. We want to come. We we want to come. Very important passage, John 1, 12 to 13. Okay, Mark, 12 to 13, please. mark who grants who gives us the right to become children of god of course god does he grants us the right does this sound like a man-centered gospel it's a god-centered gospel john 1 12 to 13 are classic verses to know of god's sovereignty and salvation Look in your box. Note that this right or privilege is not granted to us because of our birth. Mom and dad love them very much. Because I was born into their family, I was not granted a right to be a child of God. Not my own effort, which is the will of the flesh. Nothing I do will merit grace or my own will. I can't will myself to be in God's family. There's nothing I can do, nothing I can will, nothing I can be born into that grants me salvation. So, going back to last week, whom He foreknew, He predestined, He chose us. Because he wanted to, he loved us, and he knew we'd never come. We didn't want to come, and we couldn't be born into any family to come. And he knew what we'd be like after he saved us. He knew the sins we would do, continue to do. He loved us anyway, and he saved us. Who causes growth in a believer? 1 Corinthians Three, six. Mark, do you have that? Okay. And then surely 1 Corinthians 6.14, please. Thanks. One, but the God the world. The world? Who causes growth in a believer? Yeah, that's it, Mark. Yes. Got it. Yeah. Yes. Who causes growth? Okay, we know God does. So... What is our role as a Christian in helping somebody either to be saved or who are saved for conversion or growth? What's our role? We tell them what the Bible says. We can't, we can't change their thinking as hard as we try. One sows, gives the gospel. Somebody else says something, Water's. We don't know what stage they're in. God gives the increase. So when we talk to somebody and you're wondering, well, I wonder what they know about the Bible. I wonder what they know about salvation. We have no idea who has come up to them previous and maybe somebody's already sown something. So we may be watering. Or maybe it's all brand new. We may be sowing the seeds of truth. We don't know. The point is, are we faithful with that? But we always want to give the Lord honor because He causes the growth. In your life, think of people who've come up to you, who've talked to you about the Lord or given you verses or spent time with you and gone through the Bible. Whenever that was, when you first got saved or starting to be saved or learning things, to your point now, whoever that is, faithful people, your growth though is from God. From what you see now if it's compared to what you did before. That's something to be um, thankful for, even in our prayers of thank you for the people coming in my life and helping me understand. You know, that's a heart of gratitude. Who will cause the resurrection to occur? First Corinthians six fourteen. There we go. God will cause the resurrection to occur. You specifically, me specifically, by His power. So that's how God implements His plan for salvation. He sovereignly, in eternity past, chose. He decreed it. He's putting it in place through His decree. And now He's going to culminate His plan in in number C, rather, this is his highest point. Let's look again at Romans 8.29 into whose image we will be ultimately conformed. Whose image? The Lord Jesus Christ himself. The eternal one who He's conforming our image to. So while we're here in this weakened state of our body, we, we're not there yet, obviously. We will be one day. It's a good thing to think about heaven, of what it's going to be like every once in a while. You know, It's not always going to be this way. It's not always going to be like that. We're going to be glorified like His Son. All saints will be made like Jesus. One day we're going to be purified from all contact with sin. One day. No more contact with sin. With self and with other people. And everything else we touch in the world. What is going to happen to every believer in Philippians three
1: twenty to twenty-one? Like
0: Excellent. Every believer conformed to his glorious body. We'll be made like the sun. We'll get glorified bodies. No more limitations. That we now experience, sometimes you'll see the Bible talk about lowly bodies. That's the limitations we're in. What are we limited by? Disease and sin. We're limited by it. We don't even know what it's like to live a pure life. Because everything we do has a taint or corruption of sin and disease. We may get a glimpse. Sometimes we'll sing songs of glory of foretaste divine. We get a taste of it, but we're not there completely yet. So one day, when we are in heaven, no more sin. Temptation is lost forever. Satan's going to be shut out. And we're going to stand before the Lord perfect. That's what awaits us. Jude 24 and 25. Almost doesn't seem real, does it? I mean, it? It sounds so almost out of reach, but it's not. Page 49. What does Christ desire for those who are His? John 17, 24. Jeremiah, you got that? Okay. excellent what's his desire what's christ's desire we know we're going to get a perfect body we know we're going to be resurrected into that perfect body and with that what's his desire very important piece to this puzzle michelle said it his desire is to be with us He wants to be with us, and we're going to see Him. Okay, that's God's sovereignty, and salvation. We're going to move to conversion in Roman numeral 2. And with that thought, remember, conversion is the active side of of salvation. Conversion is a change. It's, It's to return. It's to turn back. Conversion is the motion of a sinner towards God. That's conversion. So regeneration is the work of the Spirit giving life to the sinner. That's the new birth. That's regeneration. It's the new birth. And over here, because of the new birth, there's conversion and repentance and faith. There's a change. I'm sorry for my sins, I believe. takes place here. Matthew Henry said, if no conversion, no salvation. Stephen Charnock said, regeneration is a spiritual change. Conversion is a spiritual motion. That's excellent. There's something active there. A change. And I mentioned before that God does not force anyone to act against his or her will he doesn't doesn't force his will in our conversion but what he does is he graciously and powerfully inclines us to do it and we want to do it we want to come we hear the offer of the lord come to me all you are weary and heavy laden i'll give you rest he takes that sin righteousness and judgment and convicts us of the things that we know are not true, and He takes that, and we hear the offer, and we come. We want to come. It's good. There's a preacher in the 1800s. He got saved, and he was thinking of conversion. His name was Billy Bray. Don't hear too much about him. He doesn't get quoted very much, but he said this after recognizing his conversion he said quote i remember this that everything looked new to me the fields the cattle the trees i was like a new man in a new world It's good have you experienced that recognizing salvation recognizing what was and what is now It's all new. Everything's new. See things differently. Let's talk a little bit more about conversion. In Numbers 21, 5-9, you'll see this in your workbook. It's recorded how the children of Israel sinned against God. So God sent deadly snakes that bit them and caused death. The people realized their sin and asked to be delivered. Very important. They asked to be delivered. God instructed Moses to put a fiery bronze serpent on a pole and when someone was bit they could look on it and be saved in a way that illustrates conversion however instead of a snake on a pole we have the son of god on a cross let's look at how conversion happens we've talked about it some we're going to look at it more specifically first conviction of sin we're at romans 320 got it okay read it please If we could memorize a handful of verses, that's one of them. Romans 3.20. Excellent. What has God given man to reveal man's sinfulness? The law. It's like, uh, it's like uh, little kids um, bake cookies. And you bake them. And you smell them baking. And they come in and they just start eating them. But when you say, uh, you can't have any cookies until after supper at 6.45 tonight, that's the law. Does that sometimes keep that kid from eating cookies? Depends on the kid. But he knows that's what he's to do. That's what the law does. It, It gives us knowledge of sin. It tells us about God's standard. It reveals our sinfulness. When the people realized the mistake they made in crucifying Christ, how did they feel in their hearts? That's Acts 2:36, 37. Chad? When they realized the mistake they made in crucifying the Lord, how'd they feel in their hearts? What did Chad read? Cut to the heart. Or convicted of their sin. They realized what they'd done. So there's a conviction there. Power of the Spirit, by the way, going back to what was read earlier. Let's look at repentance from sin or sorrow from sins. Why did the tax gatherer cry out to God in the temple? Luke eighteen thirteen. Please. Luke eighteen thirteen. The tax collector standing far off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. What did he know? He knew he was a sinner. He knew he was a sinner. That's an issue with everyone who's ever been born after the fall. A sinner, the issue is recognition of it. Paul's a sinner. Second Corinthians 7, 9-10. Bill? Excellent. What does godly sorrow over sin produce? Repentance. And what does it lead to? It leads to salvation. That's why repentance is so vital, according to 2 Corinthians 7, 9-10. We, we talked about repentance means a turning away from sin and turning to God. It's a change of heart, which results in a change of behavior. Let me give you a couple of thoughts here on true repentance and false repentance. Because you ever seen people who are sorry for what they did, but nothing changes? That's a false repentance. True repentance is the opposite. John Calvin said this the beginning of repentance is the confession of guilt. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. Thomas Watson said, We must not only abstain from sin, but abhor sin. It's true. Not only hate it in others, more importantly, hate it in myself. That's true repentance. Here's false repentance. John Owen, the Puritan, said this Sin may be the occasion of great sorrow. When there is no sorrow for sin or guilt, maybe sorry for something I did. Someone could, but I'm not sorry because of what I did. J.C. Ryle said, "Let us beware of our repentance without evidence." Very good. Very good. See, uh, turning to Christ. When a person who had been bitten by a deadly snake looked at the serpent on the pole, he or she was exercising faith in what God said. Let's look at Romans 10.13. What promise is given to those who call upon the name of the Lord? Jack, you got that? Romans 10.13, and we'll skip over to Pam. That's quite a promise, isn't it? What promise is given who calls upon the name of the Lord? They'll be saved. They'll be saved. Very important verses here in Romans 10, 8 through 10. faith, remember, dependence on, relying on another, is required for salvation. Go ahead and read, Pam, verses 8 through 10, please. Read verse 11, please. There you go. That's a good one to add to that. What must you confess? Verse 9. Confession is an admittance of something. Verse 9. What do I admit? Jesus is Lord, He's the God of the universe, He's God Himself. Jesus is God. What must you not only confess and admit, but believe? I believe in the resurrection. Not only have to confess that He's God Himself, but He he really did rise from the dead to be saved. And how do I know that if I truly believe that? Because inside, Pam read the heart, makes that confession. Inside, he's saying, inside, the convictions are there. Inside, I believe it. Faith means trusting in, clinging to, or embracing Jesus Christ, who is the object of our faith. And remember, faith is not to be confused with a mere intellectual assent to doctrinal teaching that's not the idea it's not the I agree with the doctrines of Christianity though obviously necessary but it's a commitment to the Lord as who he is and I'm committing my That's quite a commitment. When you think about it, we're committing to something uh, we haven't seen and to someone we haven't met face-to-face. That's a lot. Again, that's the work of the Spirit. Because it, it's inside saying, but, but it is true. It's true. Also here on page 50, with conversion continued, something else happens. Uh, becoming slaves to righteousness this is Romans 8. One to two. Faye, do you have that? Okay.
1: There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law
0: of sin and death. For the one who believes in the Lord, what is the penalty for sin? For the Christian, what is the penalty? You're on the right track, though. What is the penalty? There, there is no penalty. Yeah, no condemnation. No sentence. Uh, no eternal separation. We have spiritual separation uh, before conversion. Spirit's dead. Eternal separation is infinite apart from the Lord. And that's not to be confused with consequences. When we sin and confess our sin and we're forgiven, doesn't mean we don't have to live with our consequences. If we tell our son not to go out into the street and ride his bike, between four thirty and 6 in an, on an autumn evening because of dusk and hard to see and he does it anyway and he gets hit by a car he did what he wasn't supposed to do he says mom and dad i'm sorry i'm sorry i shouldn't have done it but he still broke his leg now he has to live with a broken leg till he heals that's the idea so when we talk about condemnation There is no penalty for our sins because the Lord paid for them. But as a Christian, when we do sin, there's no condemnation, but there are consequences that we have to live with. For what is the believer free in verse two that Fay read? Sin and death. It's a definition of sin, again, just so we can go back. Uh, that simple is missing the mark. It's a transgression of anything that God said to do, and we don't do it. Why? Because we don't want to do it. Because we're all rebels at heart and reject Him. That's sin, so we're free from that, and then death, which is eternal death, which we talked about before. What benefit results? in Romans 6:22
1: um
0: what were we before we were converted slaves of what sin and now what are we what does a believer become slaves of righteousness slaves to the truth because it's right and it's always good that's a benefit sanctification is the process of being conformed to the image of jesus christ we're slaves of god we have fruit or evidence on to sanctification that's an important word. We're going to actually have that this Sunday in Grace Life on, in our continuing series on the pursuit of purity, which is really the pursuit of holiness. The pursuit of that is always rooted in Christ because we're in Christ. We're positionally sanctified, set apart. But in practice, that's where we have issues. And evidences of one's salvation, as Charles Spurgeon says, is holiness, and that's the visible side of salvation. Sanctification or evidences, which we're going to talk about here in Roman numeral three, is holiness or purity. So that's the end of our point two of conversion. Let's look at Roman numeral three on page 50 evidence of salvation three important evidences of a true believer are faith that works love that labors and hope that endures in first thessalonians 1 three to four We really ought to talk about verse 4, but we're not. Brethren loved by God, what'd she say? His choice of you, God's choice. As I look at you, Christian, God made a choice of you. Yeah. And when that choice comes through the course of time, here in the gospel, conversion, salvation, here we know that it's actually taken place. What reveals genuine faith? Let's look at a couple of verses here in James 2.18, and then we're going to look at 1 Peter 1, 6-7. James 2.18. Annie, when you're ready. But will say, you have faith and I have what reveals genuine faith? works what kind of works good works and when were those works put in place first 10 of Romans verse 10 of Ephesians 2 for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works faith proves itself by works works does not merit grace and those passages there in James 2 to 14 to 26 oftentimes is used to show that works merits grace. It does not. It is a, a verification of the faith that's already taken place inside. Charles Spurgeon said, the trials of the Christian life you shall find heavy in your works, but grace will make them light. Let's look at trials. First Peter one, six to
1: seven.
0: Good. What reveals genuine faith? Trials. Trials reveal what we believe. Trials reveal what we truly depend on. A true Christian will eventually get to this point, maybe sooner, maybe later. It depends on the person. He'll say this, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn of your precepts. In faithfulness you have afflicted me. Psalm 119, 71 and 75. They'll get there sometime sooner, sometimes later to reveal God is testing us to show us what we believe. He knows what we believe because He knows everything. He's just showing us where we are trials reveal genuine faith go to page 51 for what did god prepare believers there we are ephesians two ten. todd that's yours if you got it good we've talked about it before but it god prepared us for Good works to bear fruit. Remember, we're ambassadors for Him. And we want to represent Him right. And so what He'll do is He'll test us, to show us where we are. And in, in His way, it will manifest good works in righteous behavior and conformity to Scripture. Those are good works. Among the many that's what he does, according to hebrews ten thirty nine those with true faith will will what were uh hebrews ten thirty nine I don't even mind if you read that. 1039 what does true faith do believes to the saving of the soul believes those things and will do good works that's a faith that works let's look at a love that labors besides Faith, what else does God take note of in the believer in Hebrews 6.10? So Besides the faith, what else does God take note of in the Christian? Continues to minister. Continues to help other Christians. Even when it gets messy, even when it gets hard. Because that shows love. What is the source of love in the life of a believer? In Romans 5.5. 5. Where are you at? Grant, go ahead. Romans 5.5. 5. Of course, source of love there is the Holy Spirit, always is the source of love. What is true of a person who is born of God in first John four, seven to eight?
1: Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God.
0: Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. What's true of a person who's saved? love others and who in particular and other christians yeah particularly loves other christians how does a true believer show love in first john 3 18 and 19 mike we're back to you How do we show love what's he saying it's one thing to talk about it it's another thing to show it love is always active love is not passive so we do it in deed and truth so we see faith that works love that labors hope that endures hope is that expectation of of future good Who does Jesus say will be saved in Matthew 10, 22? Who does Jesus say will be saved? Those who endure. One of the main marks of a Christian is endurance in the Christian faith staying with the christian faith even when it's hard and bears it patiently the mark of a christian we don't have time for it but in first john 2 19 the bible says they were of us but they were never of us and so since they were never of us they left us because they were never of us what sounds repetitive and it is what's his point people get in church christian surroundings oftentimes say Christian things, do Christian duties. Tests of life come, oftentimes, and they leave the Christian faith. The Bible says they were never saved because, Matthew 10, 22, they didn't endure. The Bible calls them tares, wheat and tares, they're tares. People who are sown among Christians are called tares or unbelievers. What gives us our motivation to endure? 1 Timothy 4.10. This could be said of anything in the Christian life. What gives our motivation in this case, to endure? The the Lord Himself. The motivation of the Lord Himself is why we pursue purity. The Lord Himself is the reason why we serve others. The Lord Himself is the reason why we carry one another's burdens or pray for one another. That's the motivation. Not external pressures felt out of An obligation. That's the true motivation. Describe the hope that a Christian has in Galatians five five. What's the hope that a Christian has? One day. One day. I'm going to be made right. One day. Yeah. I have that expectation. Of being free from my sin and disease, and we've made righteous. What does First Thessalonians five eight say? What
1: another?
0: What is another hope? It's salvation. I'm going to be delivered. And then Titus 3.7. So oh, so the I'm going to be made right, I'm going to be made delivered, and I've got eternal life. That's our hope. That's the, the description that the Christian has. Page 52. The three that abide. What three things did Paul notice? What three things did Paul witness or see about the Colossians in Colossians 1, 4 to 5. Kath, you're going to have Romans 12, 1 to 2. Whenever you're ready, Paul. Yeah. Um, Colossians 1, 4 to 5. What do you see when you talk to other Christians? What do you hear them talk about? What do you notice? Just as a rule of thumb, people you really trust. I'm sorry. See joy? Hope? Absolutely. Right. Right you're describing what Paul read. Hope for the future. Hope for what's coming. Hope that I'm, I have a reservation there. That's First 1 Peter 1, 1.4, by the way. And I'm going to go. I get to go. And we, we see these things. People talk about their hope. Of going to heaven, you'll no, maybe you'll notice that with some Christians, other Christians, or maybe you'll notice that they, they have a faith in Christ. They'll just they'll trust Him through it. They'll trust Him even when it's hard, and sometimes you might even see their love for the for other people. That's exactly what evidence is. Not only what Paul noticed for the people that he had um, founded a church at, but also. He saw it in them and even in himself. So do we see those things in ourself? We're not talking about it being perfect. I have perfect faith in Christ and perfect love for other people and a perfect hope for the future. But do I have, do I have marks of that? That's what we're looking for, for evidences. That's what Paul is saying. So here's our application with our ch- chapter on salvation as we close up here. God is sovereign in salvation, so important. May we always remember that. The believer is not called to salvation because of his or her own worthiness, but because of God's purpose and grace. We don't have time to read Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, but that speaks of it. Let me give you one verse that also speaks of it. 2 Timothy 1, 9, "...who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but his purpose and grace." So realizing that God has chosen you for salvation, and I'm going to make probably a wrong assumption that everybody believes that in here, but I want to make a good assumption. Everybody believes God is sovereign, and you believe it for salvation. And realizing that God has chosen you for that, here's a response. Romans 12, 1-2. excellent what's our response we just went through everything in god's sovereignty for our salvation a heart of gratitude is an indicator of one's spiritual life and when i respond with well lord i don't know where this is going to go but i'm going to ask on how i can honor you in whatever you bring my way that's a living sacrifice. And this, help me not to be conformed to this world. I can't be conformed to this world. Second Corinthians 10 is the philosophies of the world that is pounding me with the world's ideologies. The more I listen to the world, I'm conformed to the world. The more I read the scriptures, the more I renew my mind. And I think of it. We have to fight it. We have to fight it. When we sin against God, the Puritan said, "You have now become an insurrectionist. You do not believe God, and you don't want to follow Him. So you are going against Him. You are now conformed to the world, and you are no longer a living sacrifice. And you don't have a heart of gratitude of what He did for you. Flip it. I don't want to be conformed. So I think I'm going to read and pray. I need help. Lord, help me to know where to serve." Because everything you do that bring you come my way is always by your perfect providence. I know it's true because your word says so. I just don't know where it's going, so I need your help to have the faith to believe you. What's the wrong response? That's Romans six one. You want to read it, Jeremiah? You got it? Then we'll close there. What's the wrong response? Continue in sin. In no way is the abundance of God's grace designed to encourage sin. Some people believe in easy believism, which is I believe in God's grace and I can do whatever I want because God's grace will forgive me. That's the wrong response. The right response is the opposite. It's a pattern of life, everybody. We're all growing together. We're all at different mileposts of our sanctification. We're all on different measures in the road to heaven. Puritans used to say the road to heaven, the road of trouble is the way to heaven. They're exactly right. We're going to have trouble on the way. But if we always recognize that God is in control of it, He's got a purpose for it. He gives permission to it. Even when people sin, and we trust Him through it, that's the right response based on the salvation we've been given. Okay, there we go. That's chapter 6. Let's close there. Next week, chapter 7, the person and work of the Holy Spirit. We're going to look a little bit more at what He does besides convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We'll talk about that. So if you can, you might look over your book. I encourage you to do your homework. And be prepared in advance to have those things on your mind as we go through it together. Father, thank you for your choice of us and you loving us. I think, Father, that we oftentimes lose sight of who you are and what you've done, and for that we ask forgiveness. And we ask that you to help us to be attentive to you and look to you in the days ahead and as the moments pass by and that you would bring Scripture to mind, including tonight's Scriptures, that we're saved by your grace. Help us to grow, Holy Spirit. Thanks for being with us. Bless my friends as we go. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.